If you've got little ones that are third grade and below, you can dismiss them for children's worship right now. You can meet, uh, they'll meet someone back at that double doors right there to take them over to the treehouse. If this is your first time here, just know that's where they're going, to the treehouse, and uh, you're encouraged to pick them up after worship. We'll take good care of them, promise. Give them a minute to disperse. Let's pray. Lord, my, uh, my heart is heavy with this, uh, this message today. Pray for a divine uh, engagement in these next few minutes. Lord, I pray for shepherds that this morning will together corporately swallow hard as we consider the uh, high call of leading families in this awesome journey. And um, Lord, I pray also that corporately every single one of us can swallow hard as we consider the journey that we're all on together. And um, let's pray that you'll speak to hearts and minds in these next few minutes, Lord. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. This morning's message is uh, one of, I think it's our fifth sermon that we've had in what has been called the Dib Series. We've called it the Dib Series because uh, really what we're engaging, we're taking just kind of a little brief time away from the book of John. We'll be going back to John chapter 13 here in a few weeks. But we're taking some time away because 2008, we've kind of figured out, is the year of the shepherd for us. It's the year where we've got eye contact with daddies, functional shepherds, maybe single moms. We've got eye contact with each of you. And we're considering what it means to lead a people on a journey of faith, to lead a family on a journey of faith. And uh, we've had some pretty challenging sermons these last few weeks. And this sermon is probably one of, at least in my, how it's hit me, it's one of the most challenging that I've considered. I want to encourage you right now that if you are, uh, if you're married without kids, I'm speaking to you as a family also. And I'm speaking to the husband if you're married as the shepherd, spiritual shepherd. If you're a single parent, I'm speaking to you as the shepherd And if you're just single, I'm going to ask you to hang in there for these next couple of weeks as we continue to consider the family. I'm asking you to hang in there because for the sake of today's family and tomorrow's family, I'm hoping that it's worthwhile because it may be your family that we're speaking of. It may be your family that we're equipping you to shepherd in the future. I've been kind of wrestling with why I'm still struggling so much this morning. And um, 
back in the fall, two of our two of our three kids have some vision vision impairment. They're both um, periodically needing surgery. Uh, Luke has had it once, and Evan has had it three times, I think three. Back in the fall, we went up to Pittsburgh for some surgery. And the way I feel right now is the way I felt in the waiting room when I sent my kids down the hall to have surgery, knowing that they were afraid, knowing the pain that they would face, but knowing that if they would submit to the process that they would see better. And that's the way I feel about this people right now. Because this message is going to be different. We're not going to end in song this morning. We're going to end with dismissing after this sermon. If you'll submit to this surgery and this procedure this morning and this week, if you as families will engage the shepherd's guide every day this week, and if you're here next week, man, you'll see better. We're going to begin with the sermon next week. And then we're going to have the loudest, most awesome time of worship and song that we've ever had as a people after that sermon. But this week, we kind of need to go into the valley so that we can enjoy the mountaintop next week. Turn to the book of Exodus. Chapter 33. If you have a pew Bible, that's that blue Bible in front of you, you can grab that and turn to page 74. Or if you have the English Standard Version and most of your versions, page 74 will work for you. The title of this message, I never get the title, titles right in the bulletin. If you're real attentive to the titles in the bulletin, I should just stop putting them in there. Because <laughs> I change them every week. Because I make the bulletin on Thursday, but the title comes together about Sunday morning, about 5 a.m. <laughs> the title of this message is The Iniquity of the Fathers. Exodus chapter 33, just to give you a little bit of context. The nation of Israel has been in captivity in Egypt for 400 years. They've been liberated through mighty acts of the Lord, through the plagues. They've crossed the Red Sea on dry land and watched Pharaoh's army get swallowed up by the Red Sea. They've gone to Mount Sinai. They've heard God give the Ten Commandments, and then they turned to Moses and said, please go up and intercede on our behalf because we can't hardly stand to hear the Lord anymore directly. (laughs) Can you go hear what he has to say on top of Sinai? And that's the context for what we're seeing right here in chapter 34 of the book of Exodus. Moses is on the mountaintop. God has just given him the instructions that now it's time for you to depart Sinai and head toward the promised land. They don't know what's in store. This is the beginning of the next 38 years worth of wandering in the desert. This is about year two along their journey. They're at Mount Sinai. God's given them instructions to go ahead. And Moses is talking with God on the mountaintop. Verse 17, um, ah, verse 18. Moses says to God, says, God, please show me your glory. He just has no idea what he's asking. I mean, it would just consume him. So in fact, God responds and he says, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And then in the next couple verses after that, he makes provision for keeping Moses from being completely consumed like a match. 
by the glory of God. You hide out in that little cleft over there, and I'm going to cover you with my hand. And then after I pass by, I'll let you see the aftershocks of glory because you can't stand to see my face. It'll just eat you up. It'll just consume you. But he asks him, he says, show me your glory. And God responds, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And listen, this is key. He says, I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. Okay? That's important. And then down in verse 6, that's exactly what happens. Moses hides out. You would expect that he's following orders. He's hiding out in that cleft, boy. God's covered him with his hand. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed. Listen what he proclaims. This is his name. It's kind of explaining who he is. In verse 6, he says, of chapter 34, he says, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Man. Reading so far, that's where I've lived in my understanding of God for most of my journey. That's my God, man. I I love those words. This merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And if I stop right there, man, I just have this view of God as just this almost kind of grandfatherly sort. You know, he drinks, drinks hot cocoa. You know, kind of wears an old man t-shirt. Crawl up in my lap for your grandkids. You know, kind of the grandfatherly sort. I love this, these, these truths of the Lord. But he continues with this description of who he is. And listen to what he says. He's keeping the steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. That whole last picture of God is a thing that I've just spent so long not understanding, not having a view of what it means that He's going to visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children, what it means that He can by no means clear the guilty. How those two things fit together is really where we're going this week and next. How this picture of this merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, this faithful God that keeps steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, can fit with a God then who can but by no means clear the guilty. And who how it can fit with a God that visits the iniquity of the fathers on the sons and the grandsons and the great-grandsons. Man, it's the gospel right there. That's where we're going. This was supposed to be about shepherds, <laughs> but it's about everybody. This picture, though, that I want to bring out in this description of who God is is this picture of the iniquity of the fathers visited on the children and the grandchildren, and the great-grandchildren. This expression of God's character, of who God is, is so important that it's embedded within one of the few, what's called a theophany, where God reveals himself. One of the few theophanies in the Bible. On the top of Mount Sinai, he's describing who he is, and he says, this is who I am. I visit the iniquity of the fathers on the sons, and the grandsons, and the great-grandsons. 
It's part of his name. It's part of his identity. However unfamiliar it may be to you, if you have the view of the cocoa drinking, old man t-shirt wearing God, we've got to incorporate this view also. We've got to round it out. We've got to flesh out who this God is. The reason our God can get away with this iniquity of the fathers visited on sons and grandsons and great-grandsons is because he is that holy and because sin is that damaging. God is that holy and sin is that corrosive. What it's like, I want you to imagine, I bet you've seen kids out playing in the yard before where they got a big mud hole out there and they're jumping in that mud hole and they jump in that bad boy and mud just splatters everywhere. You may have been close enough where you got some on you. Just envision what this is talking about is that the fathers jumping in mud holes, the shepherds that are leading families that jump in mud holes, that mud gets all over their families. The sins of the fathers splatter onto generation after generation after generation. It's sort of like nuclear waste. I'm not an expert on nuclear waste, but a short Google search could give you a little bit of information. Here's what I found. I found this place called the Fernald Feed Materials Production Center. Check this out. It was a uranium processing facility. It's still there. Located near the rural town of Fernald in Hamilton County, Ohio, about 20 miles northwest of Cincinnati. 20 miles outside of Cincinnati. This place fabricated uranium fuel cores for the U.S. nuclear weapons production complex from 1951 to 1989. The Fernald, Ohio site now has 31 million pounds of uranium product buried in the ground. 31 million pounds. They have 2.5 billion pounds of waste. They have 2.75 million cubic yards of contaminated soil and debris. They're hoping to have it all cleaned up by 2025. It's a pretty optimistic estimate. The guys, as I thought about this, and I thought about this nuclear contamination, I thought about the reality that the guys who decided, first of all, to produce this stuff were also the guys that decided to bury this stuff, and those guys are either retired, or they're sitting in a nursing home, or they're dead. They're not on the cleanup crew. They didn't, those are the ones that jumped in the mud puddle. And everybody else got mud all over them, and they're the ones that's got to clean it up. It's the next generations that have to deal with that. That's sort of like the iniquity of the fathers. Kids and grandkids may not even be around yet, but they will deal with the fallout of your decisions, shepherds. They will deal with your nuclear waste. The iniquity of the fathers visits the sons and grandsons and great-grandsons. That's who God is. That is so central and important to who he is. He just embeds it right in the middle of, who, of his name. He is that holy and sin is that corrosive. Now, what I want to do in these next couple minutes is share three stories with you of three shepherds. We're going to find out in the next couple minutes is God just kind of threatening people? Empty threats? Is this for really who God is? Let's find out. Turn to Numbers chapter 16. 
Numbers chapter 16. Give you a little context. Actually, let me kind of escort you in to where I want you to view these stories. These next two stories especially, I want you to become a Jewish family in the Exodus. We've been doing that frequently lately. It, you, you, get, you see see things and experience things in a story that you wouldn't experience if we were looking out at them outside of you know, 2,000 years, in this case, 3,500 years later. So I need you to become a Jewish family. Imagine what it was like to walk across the Red Sea, to see Sinai quake and say, Oh, Moses, please go up and intercede for us. And then Moses comes down a little while later and says, Okay, not a little while, this is days, actually years later. They depart Sinai, and they're on their journey through the wilderness. They've gone to Canaan. They sent out the spies. The spies came back, two of them studly, Caleb and Joshua, ten of them chickens, pansies. The nation of Israel listens to the pansies and they grumble and complain and then begins their next 38 years worth of wandering in the desert. That's where we are right here in this story in chapter 16. We're going to meet a guy named Korah. This is the first shepherd of three that I want to introduce to you this morning. Korah is the first one. A little bit of context. They've been wandering around the desert. You can imagine by this point the nation of Israel is pretty discouraged. They thought, man, we're going to be in the promised land by now. But they're not there. And they're wandering. And in fact, what happened just a few verses earlier, a Sabbath breaker is put to death. It says, while the people of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. And those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and put Aaron and brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation, and they put him in custody because it had not been made clear what should be done to him. And the Lord said to Moses, the man shall be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. And that's exactly what they did. That's the context where Korah is about to rally the troops. Okay, man, this is just kind of rough. Isn't that a little bit extreme? He's gathering some sticks on Saturday? Come on. It's almost like eating a piece of fruit from a tree that's been forbidden. Doesn't that seem extreme? Well, God is that holy and sin is that corrosive. And sin is that damaging. They put this guy to death. And then Korah, man, he can't hang with that. So in chapter 16, now Korah, the son of Ishar, son of Kohath, son of Levi, Dathan, and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men. The guy I want you to really keep your eye on, like keep your eye on the ball, the football, is Korah. Watch Korah and imagine him being a fellow shepherd in Israel. Remember, you're a family in Israel. Watch Korah. Let's see what he does. And they rose up before Moses. Now pay attention that Korah is one of the sons of Levi. That means he's working in the tabernacle. They rose up before Moses and a number of the people of Israel, 250 chiefs of the congregation, chosen from the assembly, well-known men. They assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said to them, You've gone too far. Maybe it's in the wake of actually stoning this guy for picking up sticks. Maybe it's in the wake of realizing they're going to be wandering around the desert for a while. It says, man, Moses and Aaron, you guys have gone too far. For all in the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Hey, man, who put you in charge is about what, he, what he's about to say. Who put you in charge, and why are all of us Levites all set apart as special and separate? How come we're the only ones that can work up in the tabernacle? Listen to what he says. Why then do you exalt yourselves, Moses and Aaron, above the assembly of the Lord? And here's how Moses responds. 
When Moses heard it, he fell on his face and he said to Korah and all his company, In the morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy and will bring him near to him. The one whom he chooses he will bring near to him. Do this, Korah. Take censers. Put fire in them and put incense them in them before the Lord tomorrow, and the man whom the Lord chooses shall be the Holy One. He challenged him to a duel, essentially, a worship duel. He says, You have gone too far, sons of Levi. And Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi. Is it too small a thing for you that the God of Israel has separated you, you Levites, from the congregation of Israel? to bring you near to himself, to do service in the tabernacle, Korah, and to stand before the congregation to minister to them, and that he's brought you near him and all your brothers, the sons of Levi, with you, and would you seek Aaron's position also? Therefore, it is against the Lord, Korah, that you and all your company have gathered together. What is Aaron that you grumble against him? Jump to verse 16, keeping the eye on, on Korah. And Moses says to Korah, Be present, Korah, you and all your company before the Lord, you and they and Aaron tomorrow, and let every one of you take his censer and put incense in it, and let every one of you bring before the Lord his censer, 250 censers, you also, and Aaron, each his censer. So every man took his censer and put fire in them and laid incense on them and stood at the entrance of the tent of meeting with Moses and Aaron. Then Korah assembled all the congregation against them at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. Some of you have seen the Josie Wales movies you know Clint Eastwood if we were there right now we would hear that whistle I can do it it's about to go down there's tumbleweed blowing across the hillside there man it's about to happen let's see what happens and the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron saying Separate yourselves from among this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. Moses and Aaron, let me just go ahead and take all the Israelites right now. (laughs) Let me just kill all of them right now. But Moses and Aaron, being the shepherds that they were, they fell on their faces and said, Oh God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin and will you be angry with all the congregation? And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Say to the congregation, get away from the dwelling of Korah. (laughs) You better back off from Korah's tent because something is about to go down. So then Moses rose and went to Dathan and Abiram and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spoke to the congregation saying, Depart, please, from the tents of these wicked men and touch nothing of theirs lest you be swept away with all their sins. So they got away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan and Abiram. Keep your eye on Korah. And Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the door of their tents together with their wives, their sons, and their little ones. Imagine that you've got kids that have played with Korah and Dathan and Abiram's kids. Imagine that your kids have gone out to collect manna together. Maybe catch a few quail. You know, that's kind of their job. They hang out their pals. And Moses tells them, gather them together with their families. These guys that have stood against God's leadership, gather them together with their wives and their sons 
and their little ones. We're about to find out if God is going to make good on what he said. The iniquity of the fathers will visit the sons and the grandsons and the great-grandsons. So Moses said, Hereby you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, and that it has not been of my own accord. If these men, Korah and Dothan and Abiram, if these men die as all men die, like of old age or natural causes, or if they're visited by the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates something new, you'll know I'm the man. If the Lord creates something new and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them and they go down alive into Sheol, then you shall know that these men have despised the Lord. So let's see what happens. As soon as he finished speaking all these words, the ground under them split apart. Imagine that you stood there with your family, shepherds. Imagine the row of kids that are sitting right next to you. You've been transported, fit, no, be 3,500 years back to this point in time. Your little row of kids, you grabbed them by the shoulders and you said, hey, back up. You better get back from chorus tent. Something's about to go down. You grabbed them by the shoulders, you've moved back, and sure enough, you're glad you did because the ground split under them and ate them. And the earth opens its mouth and swallowed them with their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods. You hear wives and kids going down into the earth? So they and all that belonged to them went down alive into Sheol. And the earth closed over them, and they perished from the midst of the assembly. God made good on his promise. The iniquity of the fathers will be visited on the sons and the grandsons and the great-grandsons. The next story, turn to Joshua chapter 7. It's on page 182. You're still a, a family, and now you're, you managed to, to make it across the Jordan, so you must not have been far, a per, part of the first group of grumblers. You cross the Jordan with your family. You've gone into the promised land. Joshua, at God's leadership, God's design, had the whole nation of Israel circumcised at Gilgal. You've recovered from that venture. And now you're about to go off and take the promised land, city by city. First comes Jericho. Here's God's, God's design and God's plan for Jericho, some specific instructions that he gave. Actually, look on that page, on page 182, chapter 6, verse 17. He says, and the city, this is God's instruction, and the city and all that's within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Everything in this city is going to actually become an offering. That's what that means. Being devoted to the Lord means that it's going to become an offering. In fact, you may remember from a few months back where we studied Leviticus together. What does it take for a holy God to commune in fellowship with unholy man? Something's got to die. So for unholy Israel to commune in fellowship with holy God, Jericho is going to become the offering. And Jericho, everything in it is going to die and be destroyed. It says, the city and all that's within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. The only thing that's going to survive is Rahab and her family. Look at verse 18. 
He says, but you, speaking of the Israelites, as you go in there, you keep yourselves from things devoted to destruction, lest when you've devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. See, potentially what happens is if you take some of the devoted things, Israel, you become the devoted things. You become the offering by your transgression. He says, but all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. Okay? So what happens? Look in the next verse. Chapter, chapter 6, verse 20. So the people shouted, and the trumpets were blown, and as soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell flat, or fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. And they did as they were told to do. It says, then they devoted all in the city to destruction. Listen, both men and women and young and old and oxen and sheep and donkeys with the edge of the sword, the whole city and everything in it became an offering to the Lord. Okay, looks good so far. But chapter 7, we find out that something happened on that day in Jericho. Chapter 7, verse 1, But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, Achan, this is the next shepherd we're going to keep our eye on, Achan took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. God's anger is directed at the whole nation because of Achan. Let's see what happens. So Joshua then sent men from Jericho to Ai. uh, Joshua doesn't know what Achan has done. All Joshua knows is, man, we just whipped, we just just gave Jericho's behind to them. We just spanked them like yard dogs. Let's go on off to the next city. Man, we got us behind us. We got the wind to our back. Let's go take Ai. So he sends out a little recon team to Ai. And they come back and say, oh, Joshua, man, Achan's kind of like, you know, it's like Quinlan. There ain't much to it. Yeah, if you live in Quinlan, I'm not picking on Quinlan. I'm saying small. Man, we could take AI. Man, let's just send 3,000 people to AI. No reason for us to raise up the whole army. Let's just send a little crew off to AI and take AI. So this 3,000 takes off and heads off to AI. And here's what happened. They fled before the men of AI. And the men of AI killed about 36 of their men. And they chased them before the gate as far as Shabarim and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Uh Uh-oh. There's a fly in the ornament. Something happened back there at Jericho. Joshua still still doesn't know anything about it. In verse 6, it says, Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening, he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we had been content to to dwell beyond the Jordan in the wilderness. The wilderness would be better than getting our behinds handed to us by Quinlan. Oh, Lord, what can I say? When Israel has turned their backs before the enemies, we're going to be laughing stock. We ran from Ai, for the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it, and they will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? I thought you were behind us, God. What happened? Here's what God says. He says, get up, Joshua. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. You hear that? Corporately, the people have sinned. You remember, it's one guy named Achan 
have sinned, but corporally Israel have sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. God is that holy and sin is that corrosive. It says, therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before the enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. Now now they've become the offering. It says, I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up, consecrate the people and say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord, God of Israel, there are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes. And the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans. And the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by households. And the household that the Lord takes shall come near man by man. And he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire. He, listen, and all that he has because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. Seem pretty extreme? God is that holy and sin is that corrosive. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near tribe by tribe and the tribe of Judah was taken and he brought near the clans of Judah and the clan of the Zerahites was taken and he brought near the clan of the Zerahites man by man and Zabdi was taken and he brought near his household man by man and Achan the son of Carmi son of Zabdi son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah was taken and then Joshua said to Achan my son Give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel. Give praise to him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I did when I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar. That thing was sweet, Joshua. It was J. Crew. It was a J. Crew cloak. Joshua, man, that thing was fine. I saw that thing, and it was made, it was from Shinar, and then I saw 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, and then I coveted those bad boys, and I took them, and they're hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and behold, sure enough, it's hidden in its tent with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel, and they laid them down before the Lord. Look what happens next. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan the son of Zerah and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold and his sons and his daughters and His oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, everything that he owned. Sin is that corrosive, shepherds. And God is that holy. And they brought them up to the valley of Achor. Achor means trouble. (laughs) For Achan, it's about to be trouble. And Joshua said, why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned. It's in my Bible. Them. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. 
And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger, and therefore to this day the name of that place is called the Valley of Trouble. God is that holy, and sin is that corrosive. And it is so central to who God is that the iniquity of the fathers will be visited on children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Turn to Genesis 3. Our last shepherd. We've looked at Korah. We've looked at Achan. And now we're going to look at our boy Adam. You don't have to be an Israelite family anymore. You can just be who you are. Because this will apply to you perfectly. <clears throat> We're going to start in verse, chapter 3 here in a second, but I want to just look back a few verses to what God told Adam. In verse 15 of chapter 2, The Lord God spoke to the, or put the man in the, in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. In chapter 3, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you should not eat of the tree in the, in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and the wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you, Adam? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. You may be familiar with what happens next. God gives the consequences. First of all, He curses the serpent. Secondly, He speaks to the woman. He shares with her what's in store for her. And then third, He speaks to Adam. And to Adam, he says, Because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. The iniquity of the fathers, at least in this case, is visited on all creation. The whole earth will have the benefit, I'm using that term facetiously, of Adam's sin. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. You want to know why it's so much easier for your checking account to vacate and empty than it is for it to fill? Because of what happened right here. One step forward and two steps back is our lot. Build a garden, plant a garden, build a house, do anything that requires work and effort, and you'll see exactly the consequences of the fall that he's talking about right here. 
It says, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. We have some friends that had to tend to a funeral this week. I know that most of you probably have had some sort of occasion where you've been to a funeral, where you've lost a loved one, and you know what death means. And I want you to appreciate that the sin of this father, Adam, bears consequence for every last one of us. If the Lord doesn't come back first, we too will taste of the consequences of Adam's sin. Romans 5 says, The trespass of one man led to condemnation for all men. We're talking about three shepherds today. Korah, Achan, and Adam. All three had consequences or gave consequences to generation after generation after generation for what they did. Every funeral you ever go to, think of Adam and realize that we bear the consequences of his sin. He shepherded us into death. The iniquity of the Father visits all men. Shepherds, what you do, the decisions you make, the priorities you set, the things you love, what you're about, who you worship, will, not maybe, will impact the hearts of generation after generation after generation that bear your name. It's not a maybe. It's a definite. What you pursue now will splatter into the generations behind you. Your kids and grandkids and great-grandkids will either stand on your shoulders or they will wallow in your nuclear waste. My burden for this morning was that shepherds would swallow hard. The daddies, maybe for the first time, would realize there's something bigger than just you. Our Western minds tend to make us think like individuals. Shepherds can't think like that. Everything you do impacts your family. Everything you do impacts generations that maybe, not ha maybe haven't even been born yet. If that doesn't make you swallow hard, then you weren't paying attention this morning. Or you just don't care. I hope it makes you swallow hard. I hope it makes you realize that what we do here on Sundays when we gather as the people of God, emphasis here on my poor English, this ain't no club. And this ain't another activity in your schedule. This is the people of God gathering to be equipped for worship and wonder. This is shepherds being equipped to engage your families in a daily journey. We are the people of God. This is our story. This is not just another activity. And it certainly isn't a club. I hope you're swallowing hard. One of the things that's been difficult for me in preparing for this morning is I can't share the rest of the story this morning. Because I need you to go on a journey this week. I need you to go into a journey in darkness. There's example after example after example 
where the second, third, fourth, whatever generation pays the price for the sin of the father and the sin of the shepherd. So every day this week, at least Monday through Thursday, I've got four examples that I want you to look at as families. And then this next Sunday, we're going to connect the dots. This next Sunday, we're going to connect the dots, and you'll understand why we're going to end in this just awesome time of worship together because this leads, it better lead the shepherd to the cross. What you're going to realize as you study this week is that, man, (laughs) we got a problem as shepherds. Hopefully, you weren't sitting here seeing Achan as that old rascal. Hopefully, you were sitting here saying, man, I've taken some devoted things. Hopefully, you're sitting here saying, man, I've rebelled against God's authority before. Hopefully, you're sitting here today seeing yourself in league with Korah and with Achan and with Adam. Guilty. And you'll be itching and hungry for the good news next Sunday. I urge you to connect the dots this week, to go into this valley with me, to submit to the procedure, because we'll see better next week, if you'll do it. Let me pray. Lord, I pray for this uh, sort of unorthodox uh, message, this unorthodox ending. Pray that you'll take this design and that you'll lead us into Egypt for a few days. The next Sunday that we'll walk across the uh, Red Sea together, celebrating the deliverance that we have as families through a whole new shepherd. Lord, I pray that as shepherds we'll see our desperate lot. Lord, I pray that through watching the football of Korah and Achan and Adam, that we'll appreciate our desperate situation and that we'll be ready to see the good news in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for shepherds to swallow hard. I pray for men and single moms Functional shepherds, maybe the spiritually single moms, for just a seriousness about this. That this is no club, and this is no activity, this is an identity. Lord, I pray for a dependence on each other where we recognize that we cannot do this without each other. I pray for an authenticity in this where we're willing to be open and transparent and genuine pray for a vulnerability in this where you will move our pride out of the way where we will submit to the leadership of your people where we will submit to the encouragement of our brothers and sisters where we will be willing to be known by the rest of our church in this difficult journey and that in that we'll find strength together as a people to be about this difficult work of shepherding lord we pray all those things the result of all of them will be that you'll be glorified and enjoyed, that you'll be enjoyified. We thank you for our Christ. We look forward to our sweet celebration next week, and as for this week, we submit to the procedure. Praying these things in Christ's name. Amen. Y'all are dismissed. <laughs>